Welcome to Data is a Team Sport. This is School of Data's podcast series exploring the ever-evolving data literacy ecosystem. You can find the full recordings and original videos along with accompanying blog posts and links to all the resources we mention at schoolofdata.org. I'm your host, Dirk Slater, and I have an agency called FabWriters, and along with being an active member of the School of Data community, we also help advocates and activists design tactics that utilize data to accelerate social change campaign strategies. You can learn more about us at fabwriters.net. Helping me out both behind and in front of the scenes is Caitlin Rogers from School of Data. In this special one-on-one episode, I'm joined by Heather Leeson, uh, Data Literacy Lead at the International Federation of Red Cross and Red Crescent Societies, where her mandate includes global data advocacy, data literacy, and data training programs in partnership with the 190 national societies and 13 million volunteers. I started by asking her what lessons she learned since she started in the position 10 months ago. Uh, Applying some of the stuff I learned at Ushihidi and School of Data, thinking about how do we build a kind of global and local community within house. So I found internal ambassadors. And the first kind kind of big highlight was, you know, asking everybody, don't just ask your usual suspects around data literacy. Like there's some mad data literacy skills in the finance department and HR skills and HR. And so we, we set up an, uh, we set up an informal data working group and we had them tell us what the curriculum should be. And we sent it, we sent it to everybody in the whole staff. So by involving people as equals, we were able to build a little bit more organizational confidence and demystify it as data is not about IT or not about just the technology, it's about the people. And every single skill share that we've done, whether it be a hands-on learning or kind of theoretical or making things, all kind of an interactive activity, has really focused on internal talent. I believe that everyone has a gift to give. And I think that we've been really fortunate in the fact that we just don't have um, the need right yet with data literacy to focus on external parties. We focus on what our talent has in-house. So those ambassadors have become our trainers. Those ambassadors have also become, uh, more importantly, the people who kind of socialize it in-house. And that, that when you're talking about data literacy in a large institution, it's a, it's a long game. There's no like one-off. It's not one workshop. You really need to have deep tissue roots. So uh, find your internal ambassadors, Think about what your Skillshare, have them drive that curriculum, be ready to pivot, uh, and we have quite a, quite a bit. We've used every opportunity for outside guests and people from the national societies who come and visit to have them kind of Skillshare as well. The session plans that we've driven and built have been uh, documented, shared in the different regional offices. So people are taking the examples that we've created of what, what an one-hour kind of conversation would look like and then remixing it for their own region. And so that's been kind of a really good piece around it. So there's a lot of different nuances, but it's really about trying to build confidence that you've got this. There's a lot of data skills in-house. Rather than focusing on the barriers, focus on the opportunities of a talent in-house. And that'll start the kind of trust building you need to do to get to kind of the harder data literacy activities. We had an assumption a few years ago that we needed to focus on tools. Mm -hmm. Um, But one of the things that we have um, uh, really started to learn is that the focus needs to be on people and not on tools. And and one of the things that I just love about what you've just said is that you never once mentioned 
tools at all. Um, and, and it was, it is really about building up things like community and, 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 uh, um, and getting people to sort of like tell you what it is that they, that they need, mm-hmm. um, and going at it that way. Um, so curious in terms of the, like, uh, both in terms of, of, you know, the building of community and, and all that, how, how is that, how is that happening? And, and, and what are you, um, uh, getting to focus on there. So there's so many talented, bright people across this wide, big organization. And there's some people who have different kind of community development skills. We work on national society development. We work on individual skills. We work on youth engagement. So there's people who have mad skills around it. So community builders come in all different kinds of flavors and techniques. And so while my, some of my background's really been in online community building, some of the uh, local tactics that we used, um, when, especially when I was at Ushihidi around kind of convening unlicensed suspects to have co- conversations around what they can learn from each other, this is something that we're doing in-house. And I think the community building tactics of offline to online has been fun. And, you know, again, there's some, some talented folks who, who have long Red Cross, Red Crescent history, who know what work in the institution, who understand how people learn. And so the, the, the community building activities that we've done have been really around co-creation of materials, um, you know, thinking through and building on existing learning. So there are some online courses that we have that we've already created, but I've been bringing in, um, uh, and my colleague Marguerite has just been um, a superstar in terms of online curriculum and webinars. And so I've been bringing in another kind of tactic around how do we kind of make the conversation as we go. So while we're focused on the internal folks, it's also about we, we try and share as much as we can publicly. And so we have a data blog. We, I'm trying to get more people to guest blog on that. We, we have activities where, again, those session plans are getting used. And so I'm just going to give you a very quick example. Again, we have a kind of a, like our little kind of ragtag team of folks, we have a kind of policy of trying not to have too many PowerPoints and try and get rid of the laptop, um, which is radical because most people, when they think about data literacy, like, okay, let's play with our toys, as you said. Um, we did a session on data visualization. Which we drew everything down. We drew, drew diagrams. The results of that, uh, and, and then kind of went through and understood what, and, and kind of critiqued each other's data visualizations and tried to get through it. There's been kind of two big impacts of this one session, and it really kind of illustrates community building for me. One, the monitoring and evaluation team did a redraft of their annual report and decided to issue it out as an infographic rather than a 50-page document. Yes, of course, they have to report to their funders and their donors and to each other different kinds of reports, but they decided to do their year-end summary in an infographic based on that workshop and just use the workshop as a way to kind of user test it. That's one. Two, the session design has been done in four countries, and we're about to do it in five, country five. So people have taken the session plan. They've done it in Honduras. Um, it's been done in the Philippines. It was done in Switzerland, of course, here. And then it was also done in Madagascar, and I'm about to take it to Senegal, right? And so this, this concept of taking and trying out material with, with what you have and then having people remix it elsewhere for their own local community. So in the Philippines, my colleague Charles added in local examples, you know, and Nikki, who did the one in um, 
and Honduras added local examples, but also tailored it for the learning styles and the culture. And I think that's the key for any kind of community building is that there's no cookie cutter. It really is about knowing, giving people um, some tools and tactics and then stepping back and letting them lead. And I think that's something that School of Data has always demonstrated, but now we need to be able to create um, shared curriculum. For such a large organization, that's where we're working is a shared curriculum and remixable curriculum. You know, when they made that, that hire, um, for you to come in and start working on that, I'm 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 wondering if there was an expectation that they they wanted more answers than than learning, and if you've had um, if you've had to get over that. There's different kinds of humanitarian um, activities and work that people do. I work in the Secretariat, so there's a little bit more space to um, to spend some time thinking through the theory, but that doesn't mean that you don't are always mindful of what's happening in terms of operations. So there are lots of people who want just the facts, just the tools. And so I really like, just give me like the, give me, give me the sources so I can go and do my really hard work that I'm doing on topic X. And uh, that's been really exciting because I already had uh, an understanding that you need to tailor and be ready for the people who just want to have, Heather, tell me what the best course in Tableau is and where can I find some other kind of courses in that perfect, here you go. And they'll be off on their way. So just be ready for those questions, right? For that type of learner. The other learners, the ones that have been coming on, like there's been some regulars who've come to our informal data working group sessions, but there's just been a rolling place of new kinds of people coming in. Like somebody came in from fundraising uh, a couple of weeks ago and they had completely new set of questions. And so thinking through how do we help them on their learning journey, right? What are the kind of techniques around it? So thinking not just around, um, you know, what's practical and what, what can be used in ops versus what do people need to kind of get by in. I like to call it, you know, when we talk about the data pipeline, I've added in my internal doc- documents, I've added data socialization at the front end right? Like that whole socialization, that piece around how do you kind of build buy-in, that takes where, that's where most of my time is. And I think that they didn't anticipate that most of my time would be there and they're okay with it. After all the sessions and as I've started to build a network here, I've also kind of, kind of feel like I've become data help desk, right? So it's like data help desk, like you have IT help desk, you have tier one, tier two, tier three, and data help desk is really that, you know, because of my nature, and I think that's not alone, I think there's many people who have this skill, people feel safe to tell me, um, you know, I want to learn this, but I don't know how, and I probably should learn this. And before I do a course, can you just tell me the basics? And so that kind of basic um, human behavior is important. Somebody very senior, um, you know, came to me and said, you know what, Heather, I just don't know how to read them out. I'm like, cool, let's walk through that, right? And you know what, that's the most important thing is that making it accessible uh, and, and and really, really honoring the fact that, you know, this is this is possible, right? That each of them has a skill to bear and that if we can kind of focus on what their change is and how we can tailor the curriculum and t- tailoring the plan for it, that's important. But I think the most exciting part around this kind of data help desk is, is that by being a person in the institution who's not a consultant, but who's in the institution there and be the first level those things has been really critical. I'd like some help <laughs> to make that possible because I think, and, and when I say I'd like some help, I, I've talked to my other colleagues and in the other, other groups, and they've also found that they, 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 um, they have questions or they get questions. And so kind of building up that, what are those questions? Is there enough for us to do a session just on that topic? 
But when it comes to tools, and I, I know that I'm a bit, a bit of a long answer here, when it comes to tools, um, we had one session where we were showing some very shiny tools and it was a very great output. And somebody got up and said, you know what would be really helpful to our project? Can you just focus on Excel? Can you just teach us Excel and use Excel for data literacy? So I went back to my desk and like that is, it was a, such an amazing intervention and such an important thing to say. And the reality is, is that, you know, we have a partnership and everybody in the National Societies has access to Microsoft products, right? So that's one, everyone has access to the same thing. Two, um, it works offline and online, okay? Yeah. Um, you know, and, and so I wrote up a program and sent it out to people. I'm like, let's focus on, and I don't like to necessarily focus on names of products, but um, with everything we're doing, but we said, let's, let's focus on this this year. Let's focus on what are the components of an Excel program? What are the top 10 things that people need to know and how can we build that out? And so then it became this, this comment of, you know, stop showing me shiny things, show me, show everybody how to do this. And that'll improve data quality for our indicators, our reporting, et cetera, et cetera. That became really important. And so there's a few of us who are focusing on that. So be open to being able to shift. So when organizations focus on data literacy, it's not about, it's what you have and who you have. Right. Yeah. And, and if you can focus there and use that as a teaching tool, that's much better than trying to come in with the, today we're going to learn R. Don't get me wrong. The American Red Cross is having internal R classes for some of their information managers. And it's super important. It's peer to peer learning. It's happening. It's important, but that doesn't, that's not going to help everybody. You know, when they made that, that hire, um, for you to come in and start working on that, I'm 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 wondering if there was an expectation that they they wanted more answers than than learning, and if you've had um, if you've had to get over that, and also if there if there are good ways that you've been able to get over that. So I think um, you know there's there's different kinds of humanitarian um, activities and work that people do. I work in the secretariat, so there's a little bit more space to. Um, to spend some time thinking through the theory, but that doesn't mean that you don't are always mindful of what's happening in terms of operations. So there are lots of people who want just the facts, just the tools. And so I've really like, just give me like the, give me, give me the sources so I can go and do my really hard work that I'm doing on topic X. And uh, that's been really exciting because I already had uh, an understanding that you need to tailor and be ready for the people who just want to have, Heather, tell me what the best course in Tableau is and where can I find some other kind of courses in that perfect, here you go. And they'll be off on their way. So just be ready for those questions, right? For that type of learner. The other learners, the ones that have been coming on, like there's been some regulars who've come to our informal data working group sessions, but the, the, there's just been a rolling place of new kinds of people coming in like somebody came in from fundraising uh, a couple weeks ago and they had completely new set of questions and so thinking through how do we help them on their learning journey right what are the kind of techniques around it so thinking not just around um you know what's practical and what what can be used in ops versus what do people need to kind of get by in i like to call it you know when we talk about the data pipeline i've added in my internal doc documents i've added data socialization at the front end Right. Like that whole socialization, that piece around how do you kind of build buy in that takes where that's where most of my time is. And I think that they didn't anticipate that most of my time would be there and they're OK with it. After all the sessions and as I've started to build a network here, I've also kind of kind of feel like I've become data help desk. Right. So it's like data help desk. Like you have IT help desk, you have tier one, tier two, tier three. And data help desk is really that, you know, 
because of my nature, and I think that's not alone, I think there's many people who have this skill, people feel safe to tell me, um, you know, I want to learn this, but I don't know how, and I probably should learn this. And before I do a course, can you just tell me the basics? And so that kind of basic um, human behavior is important. Somebody very senior, um, you know, came to me and said, you know what, Heather, I just don't know how to read them out. I'm like, cool, let's walk through that, right? And you know what, that's the most important thing is that making it accessible uh, and, and, and really, really honoring the fact that, you know, this is, this is possible, right? That each of them has a skill to bear and that if we can kind of focus on what their change is and how we can tailor the curriculum and t- tailoring the plan for it, that's important. But I think the most exciting part around this kind of data help desk is, is that by being a person in the institution who's not a consultant, but who's in the institution there and be the first level those things has been really critical. I'd like some help <laughs> to make that possible because I think, and, and, and when I say I'd like some help, I, I've talked to my other colleagues and in the other, other groups and they've also found that they, 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 um, they have questions or they get questions. And so kind of building up that, what are those questions? Is there enough for us to do a session just on that topic? But when it comes to tools, and I, I know that I'm a bit, a bit of a long answer here, when it comes to tools, um, we had one session where we were showing some very shiny tools, and it was a very great output. And somebody got up and said, you know what would be really helpful to our project? Can you just focus on Excel? Can you just teach us Excel and use Excel for data literacy? So I went back to my desk and like that is, it was a, such an amazing intervention and such an important thing to say. And the reality is, is that, you know, we have a partnership and everybody in the national societies has access to Microsoft products, right? So that's one, everyone has access to the same thing. Two, um, it works offline and online. Okay. Yep. Um, you know, and, and so I wrote up a program and sent it out to people. I'm like, let's focus on, and I don't like to necessarily focus on names of products, but um, with everything we're doing, but we said, let's, let's focus on this this year. Let's focus on what are the components of an Excel program? What are the top 10 things that people need to know and how can we build that out? And so then it became this, this comment of, you know, stop showing me shiny things, show me, show everybody how to do this. And that'll improve data quality for our indicators, our reporting, et cetera, et cetera. That became really important. And so there's a few of us who are focusing on that. So be open to being able to shift. So when organizations focus on data literacy, it's not about, it's what you have and who you have. Right. And, and if you can focus there and use that as a teaching tool, that's much better than trying to come in with the, today we're going to learn R. Don't get me wrong, the American Red Cross is having internal R classes for some of their information managers, and it's super important. It's peer-to-peer learning. It's happening. It's important. But that doesn't, that's not going to help everybody. You know, with Nisha Thompson from School of Data, uh, we did this session when I was still at School of Data, focused on network mapping. I use that every day. I teach people that skill every day and I, I already had some understanding around it, but I use it to say who locally has this skill that you can partner with. It should never come like, and that's when it, the peer to peer setup of, and this is what we're going to be doing in Senegal with Yonocha and the humanitarian data center is we have shepherded a list of like local talent, local folks who will come and work with the local humanitarians, including the ICRC and the Red Cross, Senegal Red Cross. And so this, this idea of like, if you have somebody to call locally, it should never be me. Like it should always be somebody who has that local skill. Yeah. And I, and I think the thing too, is also getting people to open up and realize the value of, of, of being a peer to peer resource um, in terms of, you know, what it does for them. Mm-hmm. Um, in, ter- in terms of being able to, you know, build their own skills, share their own stuff, and and further their own knowledge. 
Um, also great with confidence building. You're listening to a special one-on-one episode of Data is a Team Sport. Heather Leeson and I are discussing her work with the International Federation of the Red Cross and what's unique in developing data literacy in a large humanitarian institution. As humanitarians, and so intrinsically tied to data protection and the principles around how do we protect first. So privacy by design is a big part of it. And ICRC is certainly leading the way in that. And they have a handbook coming out really shortly on data protection and how do we how do we work within it. So by marrying data protection as part of data literacy and working very closely specifically with the health department, this has been really critical for building out information products, learning materials, simulations, planning. All this stuff is coming forward. I'm testing it out and so I'll publish it eventually. But the the... The practice of being a humanitarian and how we talk about data is is really the data socialization becomes even stricter, right? And so I think this is what we have in common with the human rights activists and the people who work on digital security or technical security like EFF. Um, you know, the, the, this is we have it in common, but the socialization of no, I won't share information or no, I can't share information is write the first conversation you have. So when I say data socialization is the bigger part of it, you can't even get to the data pipeline without all that whole preamble. You just, you just cannot get there. And so that's been a, that's been a good lesson in terms of um, trying to build data literacy. And so just owning the fact that we need to focus on data protection first and the tactics from data protection, and, and then we can work on data literacy. That's been a little bit different from the other experiences I had with different groups. So with Ushahidi, it was let's share data and let's share it and let's community build. And I think that was super important. I use community building every day that I learned at Ushahidi. At Humanitarian Open Street Map, it was around creating different kind of maps and creating techniques and tools around that. School of Data was a wider myth, and they certainly focused on the technology and the data leaders, which was helpful. But the 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 industry itself and the focus of how we work in the humanitarian space, I'm not alone in this kind of data literacy journey. And in fact, Data Pop Alliance, um, they're doing a workshop right now in Nairobi, purely focused on data literacy for humanitarians. The workshop that I'm going to be doing with the Humanitarian Data Center in Senegal, that's specifically focused on how do we teach within humanitarian. So we're taking some of the ideas of curriculum, but we're, we change it quite a bit to be able to serve our audience, which is important, right? And remixable content helps us with that. The um, other groups, I think some of the stuff that, that Rahul is doing, I know you interviewed him and Catherine, um, the Stanford, with the Stanford work that they're going to be doing in digital impact. I think that the skills from the digital impact that Lucy Bernolds is doing, that's helpful for us. But again, we have to remix it for our, our specific work around, around protection and around health and, and those different components. Anyone that's working on data has to be cognizant of the fact that you, when you, once you start storing a bunch of data, um, you are potentially putting a lot of people at risk, and yeah. it doesn't matter what you are 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 collecting it for. Um, and so that you know, I think that's a it, it's just a really cool and and right on example. The the Sorry. example around um, data storage and data sharing and data training, um, we we really just had a lot of we've been doing a lot of work around that. I think the responsible data forum and Oxfam's how they've been teaching responsible data for, data has been fantastic because we're taking some of the concepts, but we're also kind of shifting it for what our organization needs. And frankly, you know, I started out working in open data as a volunteer, um, and so this 
when I call data socialization and privacy by design, everyone's going to have to start working that way with it, with the global data protection regulations yeah. coming, coming into force. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know what, this is a good thing, right? Yeah. But it's going to be hard because some people who are not preparing their processes or not preparing their training for that kind of methodology will have to catch up. And, um, you know, I'm super thankful for the, um, the sense of fear, <laughs> you know, of we don't, we, we serve the most vulnerable, right? And, and we work with our local communities. Again, we have millions of volunteers in national societies around the world. We work with the most vulnerable in some of the hardest times of their lives. And those volunteers are sharing data and collecting data and using it. So getting down to how do we get to those volunteers, a lot of the kind of activities that have already been embedded into certain programs, which is really core. So, the, so just if I was doing spot checks on the various programs, they've already embedded data protection. And so I'm like, can we add another layer inside these modules around data literacy? How can we, how can I support the existing talent, talent there? And that's been a really good lesson. And that's why I've been working with health and data, data protection, because it's been the most need and um, certainly a lot of opportunity to kind of use that as a teaching engine for other activities. As we have seen uh, the sort of rise of these concepts of like post-fact, um, mm -hmm. fake news, um, data-driven confusion, I'm wondering how that has, has impacted you and your work. Have you, uh, how are you, how is it impacting the IFRC? And As humanitarians, I can give you an example of how this relates in two ways. One, I think in general, people just trust the data because they need to know how it's made, where it's taken, and how they verify it. So being involved in the conversation and making it part of making sure that people have it as part of their workflow, that we kind of have a risk management assessment or risk matrix. And I've reviewed some of the ones that people have already been doing. And it's really exciting to think about how they add that into the components of their planning. The, um, you know, people corrupt data, humans corrupt, and data corrupts humans. This has always been the case, right? So being aware of it, I think the tension around data and accuracy is up. But as humanitarians, there's always been issues with rumor control. Right and rumors and verifying things, and that happens in an emergency state. Our, our folks in the health group regarding the Ebola response, they worked and trained volunteers quite extensively around rumor control. And it wasn't just social media. It was more what's, um, what's happening in the communities. And you have to remember that some of these areas, social media is not even, not, not even in people's purview. It's about phones. It's about SMSs. It's about text messaging. And so how do you manage rumor control in that? And so during the Ebola response, there was a lot of lessons and lesson plans and some super smart um, healthcare workers work with local communities to kind of manage that. So whether it be about, you know, safe burial, whether it be about, um, you know, what, what causes Ebola and the causes in the work, I think this has been important. The ICR, the, the, the Federation has um, some research that just got published last week around how we worked in that space. We have a group called... Um, and rumor control. We have a group um, that focuses on community engagement and accountability, and they've added it into the full training around how do we talk about rumors. There's a larger network called the community, um, it's, it's called CDAG, which is a communication uh, with disaster affected communities, and they just did a webinar on rumor control. So when it comes to fake news or fake information, um, certainly it's something that's always been part of our programmatic activities, but, you know, does it, is it going up or going down? I don't know because I don't have the data on that. <laughs> but what I can tell you is that certainly it's part of people's focus on critical skills and verification. That's part of following our principles and doing the right thing. You know, where, where do you see gaps? Like what's, what's yeah. sort of missing um, in the data literacy ecosystem for the work that you're doing? If you were to ask me the gaps, I think one of the biggest ones is around shared curriculum. 
I've been blogging some of the kind of session plans that we've been doing um, on the IFRC blog. Just We have a data blog. So blogging those kind of tactics. It's kind of my dream that we have um, kind of a shared curriculum for it. And I will never be able to teach, for example, like you do, Dirk. I think your 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 user-centered design work and how you make it interactive. It's not about um, putting people out of work. It's more about um, it's about, more about here's some tactics I learned on how to do this within a community, and here's some lesson plans that I've created. Go forth and remix it, and then check it back. So I've been talking, and we're creating a data playbook here of these kind of session plans within the federation. But I think there's an opportunity for a larger set, right? So here's some tactics on how to socialize and achieve buy-in to understand data protection. This is something I'm working on. But I think that these pieces can be put into larger, kind of a larger corpus. And so I draw on anybody else who's working on data literacy. I draw on and I share it. And I, I really use the work that other people are doing to kind of help inside. If somebody is doing a piece of work, I don't focus on that. I focus on it and redirect. So for example, the work that Raul and Catherine are doing with, um, with Stanford, I think there's a piece there that if I know what they're doing in terms of their roadmap, I'll go focus on something else and then tell everyone to go to that. So that's a practice around kind of sharing curriculum. The humanitarian data center is opening up in The Hague and they have data labs around the world. So for the humanitarian space, we're talking about how do we kind of share that curriculum and what are the kind of core pieces, which is what the workshop I'm doing in Senegal is. We're co-designing the curriculum, and then we're going to just publish the whole thing. So that's that's important about using the kind of open principles to be able to go forward. And I think the digital impact I.O. stuff, the stuff that Stanford's doing with PACS, um, with the uh, Center for Philanthropy and Civil Society, they're looking at kind of a, with the data world tour, they're looking at a shared curriculum. And again, they're focused a little bit around the GDPR, like the data protection regulations coming out. So this kind of shared curriculum, I think there's a train coming. It's just a matter of like, are, are all the key actors interested in being involved in something like that? And frankly, maybe there's pieces where we don't share and that's okay, but I think that's one gap. The second gap is, is that I think that there's still a huge focus on the tools and let's all be data scientists rather than can we just be data ready? And, and you know, honestly, my biggest focus has been on socialization and just making it an open conversation in-house. And, you know, there's all kinds of articles. And John O'Bacon just wrote an article a couple weeks ago around intersourcing, right? And I think this, there's some really brilliant minds about using open source principles for inter, in, internal collaboration. And I think if we can stop focusing on the tools, data scientists need hundreds of thousands of points of data to be able to kind of get to that big data place, right? They can also do the really small data stuff, which is brilliant. And I think that ICRC has a data scientist and she's really brilliant. I think that we do need data scientists, but I think what we need, and the reason that IFRC hired me is that I'm interested in community building the education. And they saw that there was a gap before you get ready to it. So I'm not a chief data officer. I have no intention of being a chief data officer. Do we need one? Probably, right? I have. Do we have data protection officers? Could we have more of those, like kind of the supporting roles to make a good data ecosystem in a large institution? Yeah, I wrote a plan for five years, like with all the different roles and job descriptions. I keep adding new ones. So this focus on tools versus focusing on how do you kind of help the organization be ready the American Red Cross and the Netherlands Red Cross are doing some other tactics around data readiness and kind of thinking through how do we do measurement and how do we how do we focus on it. But until the data world itself and the educators around data literacy stop focusing on let's all be data scientists or we all need to code, if they don't focus on bringing people in the conversation, they'll never be able to do it. And so internally, this focus on how we use data and how we use technology versus how people change 
What are their skill sets? What's the human behavior? Um, what's their comfort with fear? What's their fear of using data? What's what's behind that? You know, what's the digital access for that? Like assuming that everyone can have Tableau around the world. I mean, Tableau is amazing, but you know what they have? Excel, right? And so <laughs> let's focus on what we have and focus on the skills inside. And I think one of the biggest things about the, so the shared curriculum and the focus on tools and data science, I think we need those folks, but I think what we really need is we need people and individuals from different groups who are the unusual suspects to be able to kind of understand and be supported, but also feel like they can learn too and that they have a gift to contribute. Yeah. Long answer, but important. No, no, no. Good. And, and I love that. I, I love those points. And I think, um, I, well, I think, you know, one of the things um, in terms of, um, you know, giving people that understanding of, of, you know, should I be a data scientist? Um, w- you know, one of the things it was Alex Dunn from um, uh, the engine room uh, at one point had said, you know, everything today is a data project, right? Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things in terms of the data literacy and that bit that you're saying in terms of data being data ready mm-hmm. um, is actually understanding that, right? And then also understanding that uh, um, there is a da- data e- data literacy ecosystem where there's an ecosystem mm-hmm. that exists around the data, mm-hmm. and people should not be thinking that I've got to be a whiz, I've got to be a data scientist mm-hmm. in order to do this. They just need to understand all the different roles that need to happen around that data, and they have that very critical role mm-hmm. of probably asking the question or immediately having the problem that they are trying to get data to solve. Right. Uh, and then it's the bit of like, well, what's, what, what else is needed around that? And I think that's the place where we are right now, right? We just need, we, we have to educate people in terms of understanding, demystifying. You've mentioned a couple of really great resources so far. Are there any other readings, resources, things like that, that have been inspiring you lately? Right. So I come from a technology background and I try really hard to kind of check that privilege, right? To check the fact that I understand like what an SQL database is. I may not be the person using it. I think this concept around how we collaborate and how we, like data literacy will happen with collaboration. It won't just be uh, one person, it'll be many people's skills. And this is where scrum theory comes into place or agile software development. So um, my colleagues at the British Red Cross, Andrew Bray, like, he's really focused on like how can we use kind of scrum theory for data literacy, right, and for team building. And so that's been a really, um, like, really exciting because that's some of the background I do. And so one of our successes has been, um, you know, in terms of sprints and scrums, these techniques, but thinking about them not in terms of the technology, but thinking of them in terms of the human behavior and the activities and the projects we do. Having a mixed team of non-technical people and people with different skill sets actually makes your data literacy work better because you get the critical thinking, but you also get the hands-on. And so that, that's been really, we have a wealth of skills in-house, so that helps us. So Scrum, um, books on Scrum, books on Sprint. Uh, Jake Camp Knapp, Knapp has a really good book on like the five-day sprint. That's really important. Um, the Open Organization from um, from from Jim Jim Whitehurst, I believe, from Red Hat. The Open Organization has been really important. Um, socializing internally. The article I send the most is Panthea Lee from Reboots, um, you know, which basically talks about data for reporting or data for programming. That speaks to managers, that speaks to ops people in the field, that speaks to tech people. Everyone gets that because we're focused on indicators and the 
sustainable development goals and our internal metrics or whatever, that speaks to people so broadly in terms of data literacy that it's been one of my biggest things that I share. I share stuff from School of Data, GovLab, Oxfam, Datapop, ICRC, FabRider, and, and of course, um, of course, stuff from the Humanitarian Data Center. I in, in my blog, actually, I curate all the best resources and, and, and I send it out. We also have a number of mailing lists where we're sharing all the best articles, which is important. So we have a, we have a, the literacy training and activities happen every hour for me. Like it's always, what am I reading and doing that? But I would say the sprint books, the open organization, um, Donald Bacon's article on InnoSource, I've started to share that around quite recently, if it used to say the most important one. But some of the stuff from World Economic Forum has been helpful too. You know, kind of, and, and we have a team innovation team that does futures and foresight. And how do we prepare people to think, especially humanitarians, to think for the future and plan for the future? And so some of the stuff from WEF has been really important in terms of what is digital literacy? Um, what is the digital divide? What are organizations and companies and partners and how can we get there? So I think that that's been really exciting because that speaks a lot to kind of the kind of strategic planners. Mozilla's web literacy, I've been sending that around. That speaks to other folks. And so actually our IT, IT team has um, something they call the ICT health check across the world in terms of technology. So those two, um, two kind of methodologies has been shared. The last one, because I know I'm being a long speaker, is the stuff from Data Kind and University of Chicago on organizational readiness and data readiness. Those have been instrumental. In fact, Netherlands Red Cross has put it in their report in terms of planning for data readiness. The American Red Cross, same thing, looking at it. We're looking at it and saying, how can we test out this in terms of um, is an organization ready? And so that's been created originally by Data Kind UK and then um, was remixed by University of Chicago and Data Kind in the US. And so Jake Poraway's stuff, super golden. Um, I think that's it for kind of data literacy type focused things, but I think that we need, I hope my point has been proven that data literacy is not necessarily something that's just about tools and technology. It's really about that outer organizational development and thinking about organizational change will actually help your, your data literacy grow better. Your own work. Is there anything, um, that I can, I, I can get you to plug, including text on text, which is one of my favorite blogs out there. You're so kind. So we're working on a data playbook, which is the session design. So the data blog for IFRC is where we're starting to put all those different stories in different sessions. So to me, um, there's brilliant stuff happening at 510 Global. Uh, 510 Global is a, is a startup initiative as part of the Netherlands Red Cross, um, the American Red Cross GIS team. So when I say my work, it's really about all this other work and kind of surfacing it. There's somebody in the, in the Philippines Red Cross who created a data science 101 manual and he just handed it to me he's like hey heather can this help other national societies i'm like wow so the beauty of this global network of the federation is is that there's so much talent out there and if we could just share those resources that's what the whole purpose of the data playbook is this concludes the special one-on-one edition of Data is a Team Sport. I'd like to thank our guest, Heather Leeson, from the International Federation of the Red Cross for sharing her wisdom and experiences. also need to thank Caitlin Rogers and the rest of the School of Data team for all their hard work and support in developing this series. If you're interested in checking out the resources we've mentioned or would like to view the live online recording of this conversation, you can find the post about this episode on the schoolofdata.org website. And also just to say thank you for listening. We hope this podcast has helped to illuminate and inspire your own efforts around data literacy.